0: Where's your E? That doesn't sound like an E. section
1: We are back for another episode.
0: Probably people have missed us because we haven't been around for a month. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Tara, the blind mom.
1: And I'm Tyler, the dad in the wheelchair. And
0: we have a guest.
1: Yes, we are way excited. I'm so
0: excited. So um we are talking today with Brian Dalton. And Brian, you're in live in Ireland.
2: That's true. And, That's true.
0: And you have such a great accent
2: thank you <laughs> thank you you know
0: Tyler, that is your only imperfection is you need like a british uk accent you know you know i'm sorry
1: <laughs> i'm sorry i know that's my only imperfection yeah
0: really wow i think <laughs> you're doing well
1: um, <laughs> i'm surprised i don't quite believe her
0: and um brian you are a disabled parent that's right. like us and you are why don't you? Why don't you start by introducing yourself and talk a little bit about your disability and what that's like? Because I was so interested when we, when I started following your story on Facebook.
2: Sure. Well, firstly, thanks so much for inviting me onto your podcast. Uh, I'm honored to be here. I'm, I'm looking forward to the interview. Um, so I am totally blind. I've been blind since birth, and I also have arthrogryposis as well, or AMC. And for me, that affects my uh, knee joints, my elbow joints, and my wrists as well. So for the blindness, I was obviously diagnosed pretty early on. Mind you, my parents were, when I was born initially, they were led to believe that I could, that I would be able to see. But uh, that definitely wasn't going to happen because I don't have any eyeballs at all. Um, oh. The arctic was a late diagnosis in, in relative terms. I didn't know what the impairment was until I was 11. Nobody knew what it was at all. I just knew the things I couldn't do and the things I could do, but I didn't have a label or a a name for it till I was 11.
1: Now, now can I ask, do do you have uh, the joint contractures and did you have those from birth?
2: I did. I did. And, you know, I had several pieces of surgery done when I was young to when I was born first, my legs were pushed up, almost up into my stomach Mm. and uh, they wouldn't straighten at all. So there were several pieces of surgery done on them uh, to try and straighten them. So I was in plaster Paris for a year, uh, pretty much from, you know, neck to toe, but that didn't work. And then they tried calipers on my legs to see if that would straighten them. And One day I went to the specialist, the bone specialist who I was under at the time. And I said to the man, I said, are these calipers ever going to make me walk fully? Am I ever going to stand up straight without them? Because I obviously could stand straight with them on. But when I took them off, then I couldn't. (laughs) And he said, I'm afraid not. I don't think it's, uh, it's actually going to work. We've tried several things. And I said, well, if they're not going to work, then I'd like you to have them back. I don't really want them because they were restricting my movement a lot, you know, I uh, so I can stand up, but I can't stand up straight. I can walk a little, but not a lot. But with these calipers on me, I was much, much slower at walking. I couldn't chase around the floor like I wanted to with my friends and my family. And I just said, you know what? My life is much better without these. You can have them back. <laughs> and I don't want them. And I did the same to my eyes as well. I had... Artificial eyes. I was given artificial eyes. Ah, oh, I think I was around four or five when I was given those. When they eventually realized that there ain't no eyeball in there, so I was never going to be able to see. And again, I, I wasn't really in favor of these because they caused me a lot of discomfort and pain, and they were quite expensive. I can't remember how much they were, but you're talking hundreds of pounds, which <laughs> 1970s is a lot of money to a family of five, you know, and, and parents who are trying to raise five children. And again I said to the specialist, if they ain't gonna make me see, then I don't want them. You can have them right. back. And they were the specialists were like, What do you mean we can have them back? And I said, Well, if they're not gonna do what they're supposed to do, then you know they, they're no good to me. And they said to my parents, like so are you okay with this? And in fairness to my parents, they both said, Well, look, that's Brian's decision. Mm. Now, if he says he doesn't want them, then he doesn't want them, you know. So yeah, so I gave the calipers and the artificial eyes back.
1: Oh, that's great! That's great. I I remember growing up, I had leg braces that mm-hmm. that fit around my legs, and they they locked my knees in a straight position, um, which did allow me to stand and take some steps on on level ground. Uh, but as I grew the torque on those locks became greater and I fell more and I decided kind of the same thing that I didn't want, I didn't want to have these braces because they were not comfortable and they weren't serving a a purpose anymore. Yeah, I don't, I don't
2: blame you for that because I was in a lot of discomfort and one of the options they gave me was to take my So my knee doesn't straighten. So they offered to fuse the bottom of my leg to the top of my leg and remove the whole knee joint. And I went, no way. I don't want to be left with a, you know, with a straight leg. And don't because at the moment I can bend my legs. They just don't straighten fully. mm -hmm. And um, I remember thinking, no, I don't want that. Like I can move around a little on the legs I have. So I want to keep that. Mm -hmm. that." Yeah.
0: So were you were you a preemie were you premature,
2: um, no. Were you premature? no I wasn't okay. um I was pretty much on time
0: that, uh interesting is yeah we were both we were both premature and we were both two pounds four ounces
2: okay my children were they were six weeks early but <laughs> oh, uh, wow. no, I was pretty much on time yeah
0: oh my goodness interesting um so do you how, how do you navigate now? Do you use uh, do, are you do you walk most places or do you use a wheelchair or do you do both? Or
2: I do both so I can walk short distances. So inside my house, I can walk around my house. I don't use uh-huh. my wheelchair at all. Um, when I'm inside my house, I do use it all the time when I'm out. But initially, um, until I was nine, I didn't have a wheelchair. My parents both decided that. I wouldn't go into a wheelchair until I was ready to make that decision myself. Mm. So I used various walking frames and they got an adapted tricycle for me when I was a child. And then when I was nine, I came home. A guy in school had a wheelchair and I could see the fun he was having with that. (laughs) Also getting out and about, like I was in um, a child's buggy up until the age of eight. So you're obviously getting self-conscious when you're seven or eight that all wheelchair. your other friends don't have one of these things, you know, so you don't want to be the only one. So I remember coming home to my parents and said, I'd love a wheelchair. You know, this is what it's going to enable me to do. It's going to enable me to get around a lot faster and easier. And uh, yeah, I went into a wheelchair when I was nine. Mm-hmm. So at the moment I have a manual chair and a power chair. And do I, you,
0: so?
2: <laughs> I use the power chair. So I use a stick in my right arm, my right hand. And then I navigate with my left in both the manual chair and in the power chair.
0: I I find that pretty impressive.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was trial and error, really, because nobody I didn't know many people who are both blind and in a wheelchair. I knew one guy and he wasn't overly interested about doing a lot for himself, whereas I was, you know, my independence was nurtured and fostered very early on when I was a child. Hence I gave back my calipers and my eyes. So it was always fostered. So I wanted to do as much as I could. So it was really it was really trial and error. Um, you know, that I, I established a way that I could get around. So when I'm in a manual chair, I I I steer with my right foot. I push with my left arm and I have a stick sticking my right arm. So um, <laughs> and then obviously the power chair I don't need to steer. And um, because I've got that the power from the chair
1: so Brian, one thing I'm trying to envision um is kind of what what are the what are your wrists like and what's your grip like are you able to grip a grip a cane or I
2: am yeah, my grip is fine, actually, I can grip I'm very lucky, my hands aren't um you know, impaired in any way I can type, I can, I can do all these things. So my wrists are affected in the way that I can't turn them around completely flat. So if I go to take, I can't turn my hand flat so somebody can put something into my hand. I have to take it out of somebody's hand. Um, But I can, you know, I can feed myself. I can dress myself. I can do all these things. And then my elbows and my knees don't straighten. So from my shoulder to my elbow would be much shorter than uh, the average person's arm um, mm. and my arm doesn't straighten fully either okay
0: yeah yeah cuz i mean being part of like the amc facebook groups you start to learn that there's a a spectrum for for folks you know who have amc with all kinds of uh you know some levels of independence and levels of of need of help
2: Definitely. Yeah. And I remember even when I, you know, when I became an adult and I, because my mom started the group for AMC in Ireland, my mom and two other parents. And that's how I found out the impairment that I had because a, a doctor rang her and, you know, and, and two other parents had, had checked in with similar issues that I was having. So, it, you know, I, I was then diagnosed, but she started the group off for, for parents, a support group really to support other parents, because obviously in the 1970s and eighties, early eighties, you didn't have as much resources like face groups online that we have now. Um, yeah. But it was only when I became an adult and I took the chair of the group and I met people in the group that my mom, whose, whose parents, my mum would have known when the group was set up and, because I couldn't see people, I didn't know what level of impairment they had, I didn't know what mm-hmm. positions their, their arms could go in. And uh, it, that was really, really uh, fascinating for me to learn, the shape of someone's hands, the shape of someone's wrists, the level of movement that they had. Um, for example, I didn't realize that everybody, or most people with AMC, when they walk, their hips are locked. So they, they move their body from side to side. I thought, oh, am I the only one that does this? But I'm not the only <laughs> one that does that. You know, it's a, it's a trait of AMC, really. But I yes. guess through not seeing people, I wouldn't have picked that up.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I, I remember meeting a friend who had AMC and her wrists were dropped the way that Tyler's had been dropped before oh. uh, a surgery. That you had to. Do you want to describe what that surgery did for your wrist? Yeah, they, so
1: so they fused uh, my wrist. So they brought them up into uh, a more anatomically correct position and fused the fused them. It, it gave me a little bit more finger mo- uh, movement and ability to. Kind of grip things between my hands. I don't. I have no, or very little finger dexterity, um, nor do I have the muscle tone to to grip things. But you know, things that are fairly light, I can kind of hold between my hands, and that that was neat because for a while it allowed me to do things like pick up a cup and. Drink without a straw, mm. um, and things like that. But mm. I also used my head for a lot of leverage, mm. and my my neck doesn't allow me to do a lot of that anymore. Yeah,
0: eventually, you're I had to had enough.
1: I <laughs> had to had to have a fusion in my neck eventually. So
0: yeah, and I mean it was, but you're you're talking about getting to see what other people looked like when we met this friend who had wrists that were dropped the way yours were Yeah, I, mean, I yeah. asked if I could touch her wrists which I you know exactly I'm normally yeah. not <laughs> yeah am <I'm laughs> normally not into you know I don't want no. I'm not into asking people if I can touch them <laughs> but yeah I was yeah, like, yeah if I was really interested in what that had been like for you as a kid mm. and I I Tyler and I wanted to see that but yeah, um, and I was
2: exactly the same. Like You know, I asked, I mean, obviously I got to know the people first before I asked for sure touch text on this, you know, <laughs> before I'd be locked up. But um, yeah, I was quite astounded actually when I did, um, you know, just to, again to experience what it was like.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, your parents, like, talk about like what growing up was like and the way your family was. Did you have siblings or...
2: I did. I've um, I've three brothers and one sister. So uh, I was very lucky that, uh, as I said, my independence was always nurtured and fostered from an early age. And mm-hmm. I was always treated the same way as my brother and sister. So, you know, if I did something that I shouldn't be doing, I would be punished in the same way as they were. Um, mm-hmm. I was allowed to rough and tumble just as they were. You know, I, I fell, I got scratched, I cut myself and, and all the things that the children do. Um, I was encouraged to go to school, which was uh, an ordeal in itself. But I was encouraged to go to school and to get a job in the same way as my brothers and sisters would have been encouraged. I brought friends home the same way as they did. You know, I, I got married in the same way as some of them did. So I was I was always encouraged and given the support to do exactly what. Uh, you know, a child growing up and an adult growing up should do. Mm -hmm.
0: What was school like for you? Because um, it sounds like you're a similar age to us. And that, at least here in the U.S., there was starting to be much more of a transition for disabled people um, into, you know, public education and trying to integrate and accommodate. What was that like as much as you'd like to share like for sure. you and, so, and you've got two disabilities
2: <laughs> yeah so initially it was quite challenging for my parents they were actually summoned by the courts for not sending me to school but oh. the reason that they didn't send me to school was in the 1970s there were no SNAs or special needs assistants and I can't abide by that term either I don't like it what <laughs> do you like um I don't know what I like to be honest like, like if you were to ask me for a phrase I don't know if I'd give it to you maybe personal assistant might be good Yeah. Um, That's what I have now. But uh, special needs assistance just doesn't cut it for me. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, when I was a child, um, obviously, I needed to go to a school for blind children because I needed to learn through Braille and, you know, I couldn't see. But the school for the blind didn't want to take me on because I had a physical disability. Um, So they were very unsure. They were very reluctant. I didn't get accepted initially. Until, as I said, my parents received a a court summons for not sending me to school because you have to send your children to school when they're five in Ireland. And I was six when I was going to school. And initially, one of my parents had to come with me to be in the classroom with me to assist me to go to the bathroom, to assist me to do all the things that, you know, a child needs assistance with in school. So, they were worried that I had a walking frame at the time, and the school were worried that other blind children would fall over me because they wouldn't know I was there. So, initially, I had to wear my. Luckily, my dad was an electrician. So, he made me a bleeper, which bleeped as I walked up the corridor Um. to obviously alert the other blind children that I was there. So, different measures like that had to be put in place before the school would accept me. Now, eventually, you know my parents support could withdraw slightly and they did have a person to assist me in school uh, when i was young um then i so girl blind girls and blind boys were educated together till they were about 9 and oh. then the boys went off to the boys blind school which is what happened to me initially and then the second level school then was what they called an integrated school so i was integrated into the local area the local community. It wasn't my local community, though. It was uh-huh. um, about 40 minutes' drive from my home. So, uh, you know, it was a totally different community to where I grew up in. But the experience was really good because, uh, you know, I, I've been used to my brothers and sisters who are fully sighted, and they don't have any physical disabilities either. So it was good for, I guess, for the local children in the area. And for me to to have those barriers removed in in as much as possible, you know, to everybody was being educated in the same way. So, yeah, I went there while I was in second level school and I benefited a lot from the experience. The only disadvantage for me was that I decided to go in as a boarder because of the distance Mm -hmm. every day going over and back to school. So I suppose when I was 14, 15, I began to lose touch with my own friends from home. Mm. So that caused an issue. So in my final two years in school, then I decided to come and go every day uh, to regain that contact and start building friendships that I had lost from, because I would go in on a Monday and come back home on a Friday. So, you know, a week is a long time when you're that age and you lose contact with people very quickly. And I found then on the summer holidays, or Easter holidays or Christmas holidays. I would nobody, I would no friends. So I wanted to reconnect with those people who I had lost touch with and make more. So I decided to, to come and go every day.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I don't, it, it seems like there's not always easy choices when you're, when you do things differently, uh, you know, you, you go to a school for the blind and you're surrounded by a bunch of people that read the same way you do. And Jaws is a screen reader, not a shark. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but then, you know, oftentimes you're less in touch with your own family and community. I've always um, been interested in how that affected, you know,
2: Mm.
0: how that affects people. You're married and have kiddos. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I do. I, uh, from second level school, I went to college, uh, to university, studied there for a while. Um, really liked what did the experience. You study? I did an arts degree. So I did mm. politics and philosophy. And then I did a master's in equality studies. Mm. And um, it was there. Well, I met my wife initially when both of us were in um, primary school or in the girl's school for the blind as it was then but we didn't really know each other all that well, you know, we, we'd met each other fleetingly and that was kind of it. Like, you know, it didn't we weren't friends or anything like that. And uh, then when I went to university, both of us ended up in the same university. Um, both me and my wife were very different. We were brought up in a very different way. Um, mm. You know, I was always I encouraged to do as much as I could for myself. She was too, to a certain extent, but I guess the big difference was that I was allowed to, make my own decisions. And that was really nurtured and fostered and encouraged a lot. You know, if I wanted to do something, I wasn't stopped from doing it. Not that I could do what I wanted to do, but if I had an idea that I wanted to try something, for example, to go in as a boarder, I could come home and freely express that. And it Mm. was taken seriously. And if I made a mistake and it didn't work out, well then so be it. You know, you learn from your experiences she wasn't nurtured. She wasn't um, encouraged really to make her own decisions in the same way as I was. They were made for her. Some of them were made for her. So we had very different upbringings. We were very different people. I was probably a bit more boisterous and a bit of a messer where she was a bit more serious. So we didn't initially hit it off like we do now. It, It developed over time. But, uh, yeah, we met in college and uh, we eventually became friends once we, I suppose, got to appreciate each other a little bit more, maybe like each other a little bit more. And, uh, yeah, we became quite good friends then and we spoke a lot and, um, yeah, we, uh, I suppose, romance struck up and, you know, we got married and we were married for a while before we we had children, but uh, we have two children now, two uh Two seven year olds, boy and a girl. Oh. oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah
1: our they're kids. Twins.
2: Yeah. Twins. Yeah. Oh, my goodness.
0: Oh, that is awesome. So, is your wife blind as well?
2: She's visually impaired, Tara. Oh, okay. So, she, she can see, she's colorblind,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, different light lighting conditions affect her vision. So, she can actually see better when it's darker than when it's dark. Oh, okay. So sunlight really hampers her vision. Um, but she can see enough and uses it very well to do what she needs to do. She holds down a job, always has done, and she's a mom as well. So, you know, she can, she can, she uses what she has to the best way that she can.
0: And I'm assuming you guys are probably in a similar situation to us where neither of you can drive. Is that
2: correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: its it, it for us, it's a ginormous pain. <laughs>
2: Um, Is it a pain for you? It's challenging for us, but I I wouldn't say it's a pain. But what we did have to do is to buy a house near to buses. um, Uh And transport was obviously key in our decision where the area was, the location of it. Obviously, we needed to be close to schools because the family was on our mind. Uh, And it is, it's like less than five minutes walk from the local school and we're very centrally placed so all of those were factors in in where we were going to live obviously it would be great to to jump into a car and head off on a long journey and not have to worry about how we're going to get there or plan how we're going to get there that that's the big challenge but day-to-day stuff we can we can manage it's uh, uh-huh. but we were heavily reliant on public transport
1: mm.
0: yeah yeah oh yeah and it it's i don't know is is public transport here where we are uh if you can, you drive. <laughs> mm. I don't know. Is that is it the same way in where you guys are in Ireland? Or is there much more community support for public we, transportation?
2: We're in the city. So I guess um, we have a lot of it around us. It's got better, um, uh-huh. certainly with technology. And when I started traveling first on public transport, for example, there were no accessible buses. Huh. So I was very lucky in the fact that I could get out of my chair and, you know, climb up the steps of the bus. If I was wow. confined to my chair fully, I wouldn't be able to have done that. You know, I wouldn't have been able to experience it, which obviously would have had an impact on my independence. Um, mm-hmm. So I was very lucky that I could do that. Um, the biggest issue, I guess, is, is in public transport is there isn't enough of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's very sporadic. Uh, it, we're lucky in, in terms of most people, but in some countries, certainly around Europe, where they have trains and buses every 10 minutes, we're not at that level here in Ireland yet, um but we're lucky where we are in that it, it is available to us pretty much on our doorstep
1: that's nice
0: yeah we're 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 about uh what a mile walk
1: We're a mile walk, and the sad wow. thing is right now I'm looking out our window, <laughs> and the fence line is probably the fence line for the light rail system mm. is about. I, you know, a stone's throw away. Right. So, it, it's just it's kind of rough that the stations are mm. are so far from where we're actually
2: located. Right.
0: But, we watch yeah. the train b- drive by. Oh <laughs> All
2: <the> no! Time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So what yeah. What do you do? What support is there for you guys? What how do you manage that?
0: Um. So we are. Uh, public transportation is obviously a big part of it, and mm. we are in a situation where we have some retired family members
2: oh, yes. that are
0: ridiculously generous oh. with their time, just yeah. unbelievably. Like, okay, I yeah, I I um I I dread the day <laughs> when, mm-hmm. they're not, yeah, when they're not when they're not around because. Yeah. Yeah, they they seem perfectly happy that they're, you know a large portion of their lives is driving us around.
1: Yeah, <laughs> nice. yeah, I hear you. I've, Definitely, we have a we have a modified uh, van mm-hmm. that has a ramp in it and then a a locking mechanism on the floor of the van, mm-hmm. so I can just drive into that. But there again, we need drivers and if we don't have drivers then
2: we use transit yeah so yeah, yeah. and that was an option for ourselves as well and um, i have mm-hmm. personal assistance now and it mm-hmm. was you know we, people do have their own car disabled people have their own car and their personal assistance would drive for them and um, mm-hmm. we chose not to go for that option because we're in pretty easy reach of public transport but yeah i hear you Um you would rely on other people to drive your vehicle for you as I would, or we would have done, should we have chosen to go down that route, you know, or had we not been near public transport?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it, I mean, it's, it's it, uh, it was, it was challenging because it's not, you know, it's not, it's not cheap. And mm-hmm. you get a nice, nice, large, good car payment because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. the modifications of a vehicle are, or so much money um yeah it, i mean like one of the things that i've appreciated about having the van having an accessible van is is that you know we've been able to do things like go to plays and go to um we love going to the symphony this was pre-covid <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and there have been a some- lifetime ago it I, feels like there have been times when just going to... Well, there have been some times when you've needed to go to the ER
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and public transportation hasn't been around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah the, the, that, it, I think that's one of the hardest things um, is when the majority of the population gets around one way and you <laughs> can't get around that way. Right. How do you adapt to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Right. So, Brian, I am... I'd love to know a little more about um, for you becoming a parent and (laughs) and adapting to that and Uh, and that whole story.
0: Did did you... um, I guess two questions. First of all, what made you guys decide you wanted to be parents? And second of all, what kind of reactions did you get?
2: So um, I I always knew... Uh, we, when we got married or before we got married, we we both of us agreed that we would, um, kids weren't an immediate, you know, want for us. So we, what we said that we would do is we would review it as, as time went on and see mm-hmm. how we, we both felt it better in time. So early on, my wife wanted uh, to become a parent, but we were in a relatively small house when we got mm-hmm. married. It was two bedrooms upstairs, two rooms downstairs. But we always had the intention to build on. So we had some space at the side that we could build on. And in time we did, probably about 10 years into our marriage, we built on and the house became much larger. And um, I had seen, it was a real, a white Christmas for want of a better word. And we don't get white Christmases in Ireland that often. Mm. And we'd been away and a friend of mine in college had posted some pictures of our child on Facebook. And it was from then on that I kind of went, okay, I really want to explore this option now. I'm ready. Mm. We've got the house that we want. Um, Let's see. I had a number of practical concerns, you know, around looking after a child, around when the child gets older. And obviously you have to let them be independent. You've got to let them off for a while. Mm. How would I find them? How would I get them back in? Uh That was just some of the practical concerns I had. Sure. So I spoke to other parents, other disabled parents, able-bodied parents, and the general consensus was that, that's a normal parenting concern. Like you're not <laughs> any different there, you know, you may right. have to think it in a different way, but you know, we all have the same concerns, you know? And most of the advice I was getting was look, the child will grow up with you and they will know, you know, they won't know any different, uh-huh. um, but right. they will, they'll know what they can get away with, what they can't get away with, what they can do, what they can't do, what, can't do, what you can do, what you can't <clears throat> do. So it will take care of itself. Really was what the advice that I was getting
0: yeah
2: so um yeah so we decided then that yeah this is what we wanted to do we wanted to explore the the possibility of having a family so uh long story short we went down the ivf option um Mm. for lots of different reasons and um i was put in touch with a guy who was very supportive very open very straight very honest with us and um you know, I could be very open with them and, and all that sort of stuff. So we decided to try that as an option. And thankfully on the second try, we were successful. Mm. Um, I guess Mm. the reaction I got was very different from, from different people. Myself and my wife were 13 years married by the time um, our children were conceived. So most people, while in the initial phases, you know, were kind of going, are you going to have children? Are you going to have children? And then when it didn't happen, they were kind of going, well, maybe they're not going to have, maybe they're just happy the way they are. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it was very different. Thankfully, uh, it was a lot of positive reaction when we did tell people, you know, that, that we were expecting twins and this is what we decided to do. Um, most people were kind of going, how are you going to practically work it out? You know, like, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to get from A to B? in practical terms. Truth of the matter is, I hadn't a notion what we were going to do. <laughs> right. I hadn't a clue what we were what was going to happen. But my right. mom was very supportive and she just said to me, look, all you can do is try different things and see what's right for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not going to know until you try them. Mm-hmm. So in Ireland, um, I was very more concerned about the baby. Like, was I going to choke the baby? Because I'd never fed a baby in my life. I'd barely held a baby. Uh-huh. So I had no idea of of how I was going to manage physically um, as a disabled parent. And then as a, a first time dad who had never fed a baby um, in his life. So I remember asking, you know, people who are in childcare and parents, like, can you choke a baby? And most of the reaction I was getting was it's going to be very difficult because babies have reflexes. So if you give them too much of a bottle, they'll just push it out. You know, they, you, they're not going to allow you to to do that so it was all positive really and uh, Mm. I was encouraged but what I did do was I set up uh, a face group Facebook group for parents in Ireland for disabled parents in Ireland just to swap advice and give each other tips and tricks because there was one in the UK which I had been getting some journals from and some information from before I even decided to be a parent just to Mm. see what was out there and, and see what advice was out there but there was nothing in Ireland and that was quite beneficial. That was quite helpful. But yeah, most, most friends and family were, were quite positive of it. They didn't know the IVF route. Initially, we kept that pretty much low key, Mm -hmm. um, you know, until our two children arrived. And then we told more people, I guess, as, as, as time went on, yeah, the reaction was quite positive. I think my brother was shocked initially, but more because, we had gone so long without having children and mm-hmm. I was used to having a life of freedom and doing things I wanted mm-hmm. to do. And he was there like, how are you going to stop that? You know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, overall pretty positive. I had one friend who um, both of us would be very curious in nature. So he's fully sighted and mm-hmm. he would be very curious as to how I do certain things. But mm. on the other side of that is I'm very curious about lots of visual stuff you know sure. so we're both very curious in nature and we both sit up for hours talking to each other I remember on the, I had this fascination that I wanted to go away when my children were babies on the longest day of the year I don't know why but I did I always liked the longest day of the year and he mm. made it happen one year my children were about three and mm. one of his friends had a house down the country and we went down for the longest day of the year and you know, we were talking about the sun and what aspects of the sun you could see. Mm. So the so both of us were very curious. And he was very curious about what I was going to do with twins as dad, how I was going to get them from A to B. Mm. So, uh, but yeah, we managed.
0: Um, this is completely off the subject, but have you uh, listened to the Talk Description to Me podcast?
2: You know, I only heard of it recently in the last four weeks. So I've subscribed but I haven't heard yeah. any episodes yet. Yeah, but it it's, sounds it's, fascinating.
0: It's a good one. I yeah. um, I, I I play the flute, and I can um, usually I listen to podcasts while I while I practice. Mm. But the, I can when I'm listening to that podcast, I have to be completely focused because mm. I'm so <laughs> fascinated by their ability to just make so much of the world just suddenly available to me, completely yeah. off. But you're talking about how your friend enjoys. Um, mm. You know, describing things reminded me of that.
1: Yeah. So, yeah.
0: I mean, you you have you have twins. I I remember when our kids, our babies, you know, our kids were little, and um, <laughs> we we had had um, problems with trying to to get pregnant and then trying to stay pregnant, and I had had three miscarriages in a nine month period. Mm -hmm. So when they did the ultrasound and they said, there's a baby in there, I I have to confess that my second thought was, please tell me there's just one. (laughs) 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 So so talk about like what that was like for both of, both of you um, and how, um, how you adapted with two to take care of. And, and Mm -hmm. cause when they're that tiny, they're just yeah, oh, they're
2: just endless amount of work. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was working in a factory at one stage. It was just you get one settled and then the other right. one would would crank up. So I guess my wife was an only child. So mm-hmm. I, if when we did decide to have children, she her preferred option would be to have more than one child. Now, if it only happened that we had one child and our child was healthy, then that was fine. Sure. Um So um, when initially they they definitely knew that there was one baby in there and they weren't sure about the second but they were pretty sure that there was two in there so i think i was very much focused on ensuring that the ivf would work and that my wife would become pregnant more so on how many would be in there
1: oh, so that's oh, where
2: my focus was oh. so when i found out that we were having twins i kind of went All right. Okay. Well, you got your wish, you know, you got more than one (laughs) child in one go. How I was going to cope. I had absolutely no idea. Uh Um, I had 14 hours of, I decided to my, the biggest thing for me was if we were going to have a family, I had to play my part in it as a dad. So obviously there would be certain things I couldn't do physically, but there was a lot that I could do. And in order for, for that to make to, to happen, I had I had to play my part. So I resisted, I guess, having a personal assistant for a long time because I wanted to do as much for myself as I could. And then I kind of came around to the idea, look, if I have a personal assistant, they're going to um, enhance my independence and um, they're going to allow me to participate more as a dad in family life which obviously is going to take the, some of the physical demands off my wife that, that children place on parents. So I had 14 hours of, of um, personal assistant funding from the health service executive. And I only got those really because somebody had passed away and those hours became available. And that's the way mm-hmm. it works. But uh, that's another story. Um, so when uh, my wife was pregnant, we still didn't really know what we were going to do or how it was all going to go. The only plan we had made was that my mom would come and stay with us for the first few weeks to get us on our feet and to get us up and running. So mm-hmm. that's that's what happened. She moved in for a few weeks and she she stayed with us for a few weeks. And then the hospital, in fairness, were quite good about um giving us some personal assistance hours so i got 30 hours per week from that 14 so that that definitely helped um with it as well and i was finding when when they were very small that the demands on holding them to feed them quite tough on my body so my (sighs) back i was getting a lot of back pain uh, a lot of pain across the top of my shoulders And even in my arms as well, because my arms aren't as long. And as they were growing and getting heavier, it was it was it was beginning to tell on my body. So I got Mm -hmm. a feeding pillow so I could strap a feeding pillow around my waist and then the baby could lie or sit on the on the pillow. So that was taking their weight. So all Mm -hmm. I had to do then was concentrate on holding them on the pillow and giving them the bottle then. And that that helped a lot. Um somebody else suggested a sling to carry them around the house on a sling. It didn't really work out for me all that well, to be honest, because I'm quite short in stature. Um, you know, it, it, the sling was almost as big as I was standing up. And then I found it very hard to support their weight as well as they were gaining weight and as they were putting on more weight. So I mm. tried it, but it, it didn't really work out long term. Um, when my children were born, we had a stand-in public health nurse and she was brilliant. She was, she had heard of arthagriposis, which I was quite surprised about because it's mm. a relatively unknown condition here in Ireland. But she had come across it and she said to me, you just pick up your baby naturally, hold them naturally, and they will take the shape of your body. Mm. So uh, if you pick any of them up and they think they're going to mm. fall, they're going to grab onto you. They're not going to let that happen. They've got natural reflexes and that mm. helped an awful lot. It relaxed me an awful lot. And I knew then that, you know, I was, I was going to be okay um, for carrying them from A to B friends of ours who have cerebral palsy developed this one handed lift. So they would take them by the front of their baby grow in one hand and then support their head with the other hand. I had an issue where obviously if my two hands were holding a baby, you know those uh-huh. obstacles in front of me so
1: to get around <laughs> that. So that wasn't
2: gonna work you know so right. so what would i do well i could i could hold them in in one hand but i had to scoot along on my butt on you know to, so that I, I knew what was in front of me <gasps> carrying them down the <laughs> stairs for example and all of this is just trying it out to see what's actually going to work for you, you know, but uh yeah so that's what i did when i was when i was carrying them i'd I'd pick them up, put them up on my shoulder, and then sit down on my bum and, and scooch down the stairs on my bum to get them down the stairs. Um, that
1: is awesome. <laughs> yeah,
2: but it, it's 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 all trial and error, really, you know, and sharing these tips with, with other people that you know what are disabled parents. Yeah. We um I had a power chair at the time, and the guy who fixes my chairs has been he I've known him since I was in school. Mm. And he said to me, uh, Brian, when you're because he knew that my wife was pregnant and stuff. And he said, Brian, there's a, a dual control wheelchair that you can get. So in other words, you could carry a baby on your knee and your personal assistant could drive you around in the, in the power mm. chair. Or mm. he said, what you could do is your wife could drive your power chair and you could push the pram in front of you. Well, we mm. tried that once and it was a disaster. I went one way, <laughs> the pram went the other way. You know, <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> but the dual control chair uh, uh. did work. So I could sit a, a baby on my knee and, and take them around that way. And then as they got older then, and, and we were taking them from A to B, you know, the, the, the child could walk along beside me and my, my PA would, would uh, drive my chair and, and we would get about that way. But it's, it's a lot of it is true trial and error and talking to other people as you probably know yourselves, mm-hmm. you know? Oh yeah, right, definitely. Right.
0: I, I mean, One of the things that uh, frustrated me a little bit as we announced that we're getting married and as we announced that we're going to be parents is some of the comments that we received seemed to imply that like we had to have all the answers. Right. And it's like, it just doesn't work that way. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers right now. Like, you know, when our children are learn how to drive, um, (laughs) I don't have all the answers as to who is going to teach them. I, I don't have the answer to that right now. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, hopefully we can have some family that will sacrifice themselves, <laughs> <and> <laughs> risk their lives, <laughs> but yeah. I don't, I don't have all the answers. And I, mm. and it, I think it's, um, I think it's so important that all of us get to be, get to do trial and error, you know, I mean, we, we we found that what worked best for us in, in navigating, and I don't know why it took us so long to think of it, is just put the kids on Tyler's lap.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that's how we and, go and, a lot of places.
2: Yeah, and I hear you with the knowing all the answers things as well, because, uh, you yeah. know, we that was a certain expectation as well. Certainly from the medical people, like when we tried to bring our two children home from hospital, they were like, well, who's going to look after them? And I was like, well, we are, you know, we're the parents. What are you going to do here? And what are you going to do there? It's like, I don't know, you know, but they will be safe. I can guarantee you that, you know. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Even from personal assistance, you'd be in different situations. You'd be out with your PA. So what do we do if this happens? What do we do if that happens? What do we do? It's like, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. You know, we'll we'll come up with a plan together. Um, And yeah, like no one knows the answers to everything.
0: How have you... um... (laughs) we experienced one time a personal assistant who was helping Tyler coming in and deciding that they should parent our children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that personal assistant didn't stay long. Yeah, Cause that's here, yeah. Yeah. how have you, how have you put a boundary behind that? Which is you're here to, you know, help as, me, help me. You are not yeah. here as, as a parent.
2: Sure. So I'm very lucky in the fact that so when I started off, it was a, what they call a managed service. So the service provider would pick the person for you. Uh-huh. So before we had any children, you know, I'd been given these 14 hours and the coordinator came to assess me and see me and stuff. And I said, so how's this going to work? And she said, well we'll, well, we'll bring a few people before you. And, uh, you know, you can you can choose which one of these people you want. And I went, are you crazy? Like what the, one of the tasks I'm going to want my PA to assist me with is uh, to go shopping for clothes. So I don't <coughs> know these people that you're bringing with me. They, I could be wearing anything, do you know. <laughs> so I said, like, that's not going to work. So they said, do you have somebody in mind? And I went, actually, I do. I do have somebody in mind because i had been thinking about the notion of a personal assistant for a while. And I'd been watching this family member on my wife's side. And I thought, like, she'd be really good. Um, Mm -hmm. And she was, she was excellent at it, but I always make it clear to my, so I choose my own personal assistants. Basically I'm now in a service, which is um, leader led. So it's a self-directed service. Mm. So I choose the people who I work with and who I don't work with. And for the moment, at the moment, rather, I'm recruiting two personal assistants um, and I make it very clear to them that you are my eyes, legs, and arms that I make the decision and then you obviously do the physical bits or the sensory bits that I can't do. However, we did have one lady who had three children was a very, very good personal assistant, but knew that, um, you know, if my children did certain things that they would get into trouble and tried to hush it up a little.
1: Oh, Uh... and she didn't
2: last long. She was, uh, (laughs) she was gone in no time. Um, I've often spoke to very qualified people who would have the skill set that I'm looking for. And I will put them, I will pose different scenarios to them. Realistic scenarios, you know, like your child We're in a shop with your child. Your child has a meltdown. They want to buy a chocolate. You've made the decision or me, I've made the decision as their dad that they ain't having it right now. And the PA wants to give it to them or compromise with them. One lady said to me, well, I try and compromise with them. Sorry, you don't get the job. You know, I'm their dad. I make the decisions and it can be quite tough, but you've got to, uh, I guess, get that. And I like when, when my two children actually were six weeks old, I had hired a personal assistant. She'd come through her trial fine. And we were on, um, we were setting up routines for feeding and we were encouraged because we two of them to keep them both on the same routine to keep us, Uh you know, relatively sane and, and to try and. Uh You know, help us with with sleeping more than anything else. But the one of the children would take a bit of a bottle and then put it down and wanted to be fed on demand, really. Whereas the other one was more regular and 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 got the routine fairly quick. So the one that wanted to be fed on demand obviously cried when he got hungry and he wanted to be fed there and then. And we were there like, well, no, he has to get into a routine, and that's the hospital advice at the time. Mm-hmm. So this lady who I'd hired um, had ve- had. Difficulty with this and gave me a book on how to be a parent and how to parent a child. Oh, mm. and I went, She's out of here, she ain't staying, you know. And I rang yeah. the service provider and I just said, I can't have this, you know, she yeah. has to go. And uh, luckily, the service provider was on the same wavelength mm. as I was, or the lady in the service provider, and she said, No, you can't have that. So she went, and mm. um, I just said, No, I'm not agreeing to that at all. I decide as their dad you know, when they get fed or when they don't get fed, I decide what routines they're in and the routines that they're not in. So yeah, basically if they don't understand that I'm the parent and I make the decisions, then, then they go. um, (laughs) Because (laughs) we have to send a clear message to our children that uh, we make the decisions. And even now my personal assistants know that if, if this morning, for example, my daughter wanted to watch TV I'm about to go <laughs> on a Zoom call to interview another personal assistant, but my assistant came in and said, "Listen, is it okay if Rachel watches TV?" It's like, yeah, of course it is, but it's me that's in control of that decision.
1: Yeah, I, I love that.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep.
2: yep.
1: Um,
0: yeah, because we've we've had and the I, same.
1: Uh, I was gonna. Th- I was just gonna say. I think, by and large, our parents have been pretty good about letting us be parents to our mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. yeah you know now now if they're now if they're being watched solely by grandma or grandpas then you know they're in charge and they get to make the decision that's
2: <laughs> exactly that what i say to us but- yeah 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 if granny's if uh, minding you she's in charge you know if i'm here then i'm in charge uh, and I'm in a situation actually at the moment where one of my personal assistants just upped and went. No notice, no nothing, just ah. immediate resignation. And my wife is working and I would call my mum in, you know, to assist. And I have to realise that she is their grandparent as well. But she gets <laughs> it, you know, that that she has to step back and let me do whatever I need to do. But yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. You're in granny's house and granny's in charge. And that's, that's <laughs> that stuff, you know.
0: When our, when our oldest was... Uh, too she started eating these uh, these you know kids bar things that she just Mm. thought were the most wonderful thing in the world and and we had a you know we had a one bar a day rule you know you gotta have a Mm. balanced diet and my dad was watching her and she had about seven (laughs) 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 she didn't want anything else and I went well you know you're
2: watching (laughs) the day (laughs) yeah yeah I hear you
1: yeah yeah but but there again we were not there and grandpa
2: was in charge (laughs) yeah that's it you see yeah yeah
0: um so as you as you as kids started walking and being more independent how did you guys um start to handle that and adapt to that did you do bells that's what we did for our kiddos sorry
2: what what was that did, did we do it? as your
0: kid as your kids started you know growing out of the baby stage and becoming more independent what what mm-hmm. type of adaptations did you
2: so um, we didn't do much really um we again it, there was a lot of talking in our house so anything that happened was spoken out um, and <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. Luke and Rachel are on the floor and I'm going to move this to this I'm going to move this item to from A to B so it was all talking really we didn't do the bells bit at all i did joke with my mom and said you know i was going to put a kitten collar on one of them so i'd because one of the big um issues i had when i found out that we were having twins was how i was going to tell one apart from the other
1: <laughs> and would i be able
2: to do that you know and how would i know which one who was who basically and i said to my mom Openly, you know, I'm going to put a kitten collar on one, so I'll know one for the other. And she said, you can't do that. Can't do that. And I said, like, well, I'll put a collar on with a bell and on So one has bell, one doesn't have bell. And I met a lady who ended up being my personal assistant at the time. And, and she had twins herself. They were about three or four months older than my two. Like my, Susie was, <coughs> my wife was uh, expecting our twins when I met her. And she said, you will be able to tell them apart by their cry instantly. Mm. <coughs> and went, really? And she said, yeah. You will. You'll know as soon as you hear the cry, you're going to know it, who's who. <laughs> and she was right as soon as they were born. You know, Rachel is a real harsh cry. Luke didn't have that much of a harsh cry. But everything was spoken out, you know, um, as we were going through and as they were moving around and doing their tummy time. And because we would speak to each other so much, I guess, because I don't see my wife is visually impaired. We, a lot of the communication is verbal. So the kids sure. just grew up with that, really, you know, the, and even now, you know, there would be a lot of verbal mm-hmm. communication between all of us um, in terms of, of where things are put, in terms of where things were placed. For me, when the kids were, were starting to walk, it wasn't the children that were the issue, it was some of the adults that would come into your house some of the personal assistance and disrupt your system or move things or you know put things in silly places like put bottles of water down in places where children could get at them you know um but the the children themselves were fine they were they you know they they adapted pretty quick and like i was saying earlier on it's it's what they grew up with so they didn't know any different um and now they've they've watched my wife explaining different things to me and telling me what you know what where things are and where things should be and and if they're showing me now they'll put something into my hand so i'll know what it is or i'll be able to see it or they'll say to me you know watch the lego on the floor dad or i'll need to move in my lego you know initially i i would step on it when they couldn't tell me and (laughs) they would hear the scream of me stepping on lego in bare feet you know as i walked through the living (laughs) area but um, yeah, but they knew automatically. I guess it was natural for them. You know, if if they see me coming towards them and they were crawling around to to scupper out my way because it was likely I was gonna, you know, knock <laughs> into them or whatever. So.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah,
2: now the two of them want to be helpers. They want to help with everything, which is great. You mm-hmm. know, so were that they? Great. Our
0: kids are really good at describing things. They're yeah.
1: better than I. Have. Yeah,
0: they are. Yeah. I I tease you about it, but I I, I remember when Marie was two and. She had some pajama bot pants, and I said, "Oh, what do those look like?" And she said, "Oh, they're white. They have a white mm. bra- background with blue and red and orange polka dots." Mm. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's what funny. they looked like. And she just yeah. she's just been really good at at describing things. And I've I um I've always wondered if you know part of that is just growing up from a mom who says you know tell me about that tell me what that looks like I think
2: it is and one of the things for me as I was very conscious of especially when they were little and when they were you know in kindergarten and play school because my wife is colorblind and I obviously don't see I wanted them to know their colors Mm -hmm. I wanted them to know what color goes with what color and uh, it's, it's fascinating well my wife finds it more so than me like that the fact that they can see more than we can you know, mm-hmm. and only recently they said we, we can see way more than you can to, <laughs> to her. Like, you know, and yeah, the two of them I guess they pick it up from other people as well, you know, from <coughs> from here and other people coming in out your home. They do from in our home anyway. <coughs> yeah, they, uh, they pick a lot of it up and um it's great when they're natural at it though. It really does help.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um so what was um what's 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 school been like?
1: Oh, yeah, that's
2: a good question. School <coughs> has been uh, interesting. Um, there hasn't been any barriers, which is really good. So, the school is obviously <sighs> about five minutes' walk from where we live. So, that's handy. We did want to look at what they called an educate together school, where they educate, you know, multi-culture, multi religion. Mm-hmm. and um, But that was about 30 minutes' walk. So, it wasn't mm-hmm. practical, really, for us to do that. So, yeah, so school was interesting. We we enrolled them in the local school and um, we were very lucky. My wife had a friend who knew one of the teachers in the school. So we got a look in before our two started to go there. So we got an idea of, of what they would mm-hmm. face when they got there and what the school was going to be like. But uh, they went to to play school, fine. there were no issues there whatsoever. And then they went to junior and senior infants where they were both in the one school. And now they're in first class where they're in two different schools mm. and uh, I'm on the board. The I made sure that I, he, uh, well, they were advertising for a parent's representative on the school board. So I made sure that I I got onto that. Um, now, while there were no issues in terms of of teachers in schools and accepting both myself and my wife for who we were, and, you know, mm. we were Rachel and Luke's parents and that was it. And we were treated exactly the same way as other parents the situation on the board has been very different um, because obviously I need a personal assistant to assist me to get there and sometimes Mm -hmm. in meetings as well. And they were very uncomfortable about, you know, my personal assistant being in the same room as school subjects and topics that were being discussed. But um, in terms of Rachel and Luke going to school and in terms of, of their friends in their school, they just see it as 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 normal. It happens, you know. I remember um, a friend of of Luke's was telling me his mum was telling me, you know, that one day um, the friend got frustrated with her and he said, um, "I want a chair like Luke's daddy. He can fly around in his wheelchair, and I want to, to do whatever <laughs> I want." You know, <laughs> but um, yeah, they just see it as 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 normal. They're fascinated by Braille. Um, mm. I'd mm-hmm. give them braille paper that i no longer need to draw on and i'd say to bring it into school you know share it with your friends and and let, let your friends draw on it so uh they were uh, you know they've been fascinated by that but uh, yeah no it's it's so far so good
0: has um how have you guys adapted to to homework i know for us that's been sometimes that's been a battle which is i need i need an electronic copy of what hmm. you're what you're
2: yeah. doing I-, I find it oh. tough to be honest my wife does most of it with them and um my assistant uh, does a lot of it with them as well but mm-hmm. yeah there are times when i wish that i could just have control of it myself mm-hmm. and do it with them themselves um we do have an app for cuz one of the biggest concerns i had was notices and you know, would they? Because yeah. when I was in school, I was getting like print notices every day and letters sent mm-hmm. home and stuff. But thankfully, yeah. a lot of that has gone electronic now. So I'll get an email or a notification will come up on the school app that I might need to respond to or or check or whatever. So that that piece has been taken away. But yeah, the homework is a challenge. Making sure that everything is done, um, and I would love to be able to sit down and do it with them one on one rather than having to ask my assistant to get involved or. You know, leave a lot of it to my wife, and gradually, mm-hmm. probably as they get older, and I'm even starting to notice it now. You know, they'll read for me, and I'll listen to them That's... doing their reading, um, which is really good. <coughs> Obviously, I'd like to look at the book and read it with them to know that it's right. Um, but their their school material, uh, I haven't found an accessible format of it yet. Mm-hmm. That I can, yeah,
0: uh, I I, I remember uh, one time when the kids were in. Uh, a preschool, the, the preschool just kept sending home print notes. And I mm. finally called them up. and I was like, look, mm. we're paying for our children to be in your preschool. <laughs> and I, um, I am not asking you to spend thousands of dollars on a Braille embosser. I'm not asking you to go learn Braille and write this out by hand. I am asking you to spend an extra 10 to 30 seconds to email me and unless you want to reduce how much i you charge me so that i can pay a reader that is a reasonable accommodation on my part and thankfully they went oh okay but i've there've been other uh, struggles when we did the online school we, we did online for the first year of covid and I loved the teacher. I mean, anything that she had control over making accessible, she did, you know, just simple things like, could you please name the videos <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that, that makes it easier or could, you know, putting a list on the, the beginning of just what we need to get done for the day. Um, but the math was just an inaccessible mess mm-hmm. with this big book. And my, my dad came every day and did, um, did math with our oldest You know which would save Tyler in the evenings. I I
1: remember, I remember the first day of, you know their, uh, their school year in twenty twenty was it? Uh, (laughs) fall of twenty twenty.
0: Yeah, yeah, online Uh, online torture. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and I, you know, I was working. (coughs) Excuse me, I was working from home. Uh, full-time I did that for a little over a year but I remember that first day of that new school year I went into a bit of a panic attack because I wondered how am I going to have time to get my job done plus try to do all the all the homework with them yeah and, <laughs> and it was a
2: challenge yeah
1: there were there were some fights with with the school system um to try to get things accessible mm-hmm. some things we managed to get other things uh we never, we never were able did. to resolve
0: yeah and and i think <clears throat> some things the kid marie just got our oldest just got more independent and figured out how to do it you know and the the teacher was great when she saw that was a a challenge they had these near pod activities have you ever had the charming experience of calling a company and saying your product is inaccessible and they sit there and argue with you have is that have you ever had that happen
2: it hasn't happened where they've argued with me but i've certainly let them know that the product is not accessible definitely yeah
0: yeah yeah i, I call these near pod people and they're like well you need to turn <coughs> on your screen reader i'm like yeah i am i'm blind it's not accessible. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah exactly. Yes, there are buttons that are
2: not labeled. Dude, mm-hmm. I lose it. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah, that, so I mean, it's it's interesting the different um, the different ways you kind of adapt and manage and mm. yeah. Well, and
1: the battles you have to pick because
2: that's it. <clears throat> yeah,
1: honestly, during during that school year. You know, there were accessibility battles. There were battles just getting the kids to
2: <clears throat> sit down and do their homework. Um,
0: were, were you guys doing homeschool during COVID or what we were, were
2: No, we were. And again, it was tough. Um, my wife was working at the time and certainly in the first lockdown and mm-hmm. um, I was working from home full time. Luckily for me, uh, one of my personal assistants was a, um, an SNA in school, so she was very familiar with the curriculum and what they yeah. did and didn't do. Um, we were mailed out their homework on a weekly basis, and in fairness, the teachers, probably because they were quite young, they said, "Listen, do what you can do, and don't worry about what you can't do. You know, they'll they'll catch up." But again, like yeah. a lot of the a lot of the activities aren't labeled, especially the coloring activities you know, where you have to color in certain parts of a page and mm-hmm. you were sent in accessible PDFs, you know, of, of things That's that they needed to do, of activities that they needed to do. So I relied quite heavily on my personal assistants to get us through that, and mm-hmm. um, they did. But it's certainly something I wouldn't have been able to do because mm-hmm. of the, the uh, inaccessible material that was, you know, that they had. The apps that they use, um, seesaws one of them I don't know if you have that one but that's we, one of them that they use that's we, did, we did we did
0: we did canvas and it was really interesting because I, I called a friend uh and, and I'm like hey, did you because canvas over here in the US is just all it's everything from elementary to college and so there was a, a friend who's an assistive technology specialist at the at our local center for the blind. and I said any <laughs> tips and he said look some stuff works better on the computer. Some stuff works better on the phone. And so that, and oh. I found that that was really true. I would switch back and forth.
2: I did that too. And yeah,
0: yeah And uh, the teacher was like, "I'm really sorry you have to do that." I'm like, "I don't care. Just as long as we can do you it." Do no, it.
2: Yeah, to- that's exactly <laughs> it. You know. Yeah.
0: I'm, you get so used to finding different problem solving and different. You do. Ways jobs. Yeah. Like
2: I had a Kindle <laughs> that I could put an app on a Kindle. I was very old, um, so it was very slow. Um, so we ended up buying an ipad and um, we didn't have one beforehand we just had our phone so we bought an ipad specifically because obviously it had voiceover built in and would make it accessible to me but yeah I, I found that quite a lot and still do i'd switch between pc and phone for lots of different. yeah
0: applications.
2: yeah yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah and then i mean the other thing that did you experience just the getting the kids had a hard time um they were home they wanted to play they didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. want to do school you know so that was like, you know grandpa's coming over to do math and it's like i know that you don't want to do math but he's here let's get it done help you get it
2: done now that's what i used to say to mine like if we do it now then you've got the rest of the day free you know so Mm -hmm. and in fairness the tv station over here had a homeschool program on so that would keep them entertained for a good hour you know so i could could work during that time <laughs> uh, so that was certainly it was educational for them as well you know but i used to just say to them if we do it now you have it out of your way it, you know you can play mm-hmm. for the rest of the day yeah yeah
0: huh. oh man i it, i wish we were li- have you read the harry potter books
2: yes i have yeah i wish i I, w-
0: I would love to be able to do the whole Deceptor disapparation thing yes yeah we would definitely. like totally have you guys over for dinner and our kids <laughs> yeah would so it,
1: much would be fun. Cool.
2: it would be so cool <laughs> yeah it really would
1: because well, you you mentioned your twins are seven mm. and our our oldest is seven
0: yeah our oldest okay. is seven yeah. so,
2: and your youngest then how old, are, how old is your youngest?
0: he's five
2: okay Do so, they get along yeah. well
0: you know they really do they Good. um yeah. <laughs> Our youngest, our oldest is, um, our oldest is a very, she's a very kind, gentle
1: Mm.
0: person. And, uh, you know, we, we were at the pediatricians and the pediatrician said, and Marie was like four and she said, you know, Marie is kind and you can't teach it at this age. They either Mm. have it or they don't. And, and, and she just, she is, she's, she's you know, she's very kind and sympathetic and, you know, she's learned to set boundaries with her, with her sister. (laughs) Like, no, that doesn't work for me. I'm not doing that. But, but um, yeah, they, they, yesterday we, we keep having these online days um, here just as, because I guess you're probably experiencing Omicron too we are
2: thankfully the schools have been open they haven't closed we did think they were going to close before christmas but that (coughs) that didn't happen so they've been open since september thankfully
0: yeah yeah and that's the same same for us but they keep doing these online days to try and give some give teachers a little bit of a a break Mm. and so we we had an online day and i was thrilled because we got the we managed to get them to get their homework done the, the night before, so we just had a day and they just uh, they just played mm. all day together uh-huh. and just thoroughly enjoyed each other, mm-hmm. except for the times when mom's like, okay, we got to clean your room and then they didn't think that was so fun.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not so good.
0: <laughs> yeah. <coughs> um,
1: I apologize for the
2: cough.
0: Oh, it's okay. What have your kids said about having disabled parents
2: so for us we didn't go into it really all that much we allowed them to ask questions and we answered the questions that they had so Mm -hmm. you know if i was asked like am i blind yes i'm blind why are you blind well that's the way i was made which Mm -hmm. is true so we answered any questions they have it's more of a curiosity for them um, uh-huh. At this stage of the game, you know they're they're very curious. Like my son was watching my braille display because I have a braille display for work, and he was obviously uh-huh. watching the dots refresh on the braille display, and he was really curious about how this worked. You know, so I sat down with him one day and and I showed him. But it's more of a curious thing with our um, two. You know, they want to know how we will do certain things um, and why we need to do things in a different way. But they see it. A a lot of it is as as normal. They've, they've grown up with it when they yeah. get questions from their friends. Like I remember, you know, they were asked by their friends. So why should your have no eyes? That's just the way he was made. You know, so it, right. it, they're very resilient that way, thankfully. Now I'm sure the time will come when it will get, you know, it will get tougher for them. <clears throat> but, um, Yeah, no, they're, they're really curious about how we do things. I think Rachel is very curious that she can see way more than our mom
1: uh-huh. and can
2: see a lot further than our mom, you know, and, and, a certain extent kind of not takes the responsibility for it, but is, is very proud of the fact that she can see more than her mom can, and she mm-hmm. likes to help as well. You know, she by nature she kind, a bit like what you were describing earlier about your eldest child, uh, and they're, they're both kind in nature. Now,
1: yeah,
2: I have been tested before like you know okay. you know uh, you don't see me I can do such and such you know you're not going to know <laughs> right. and stuff like that so yeah that's that's come up you know <laughs> uh, what <laughs> what, the, what they're beginning to realize now is that I can hear the grass grow you know so if they <laughs> creep around behind me I'm going to hear them do you know that kind of right. way so but it's more curious really than mm. you know than than anything else and they asked plenty of questions. Oh, my goodness. But I don't mind that. I am much prefer that they did. and I'd be Oh, yeah. W-
0: one time, Tyler was driving them to a dad's day at school. And what do you want to? Weren't they saying that they wished that it would?
1: Oh, yeah. that It was interesting because they were riding on my lap and I was motoring along in my chair to the school. Mm. And. Mm. You know, it was it was fairly cold, and the journey is a little bit long because <laughs> we live um,
0: a mile from the school. About a
1: mile from the school, and um, they said to me, "Dad, I wish you could drive us to school every day because this is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. We're the only people we know." Who has a dad in a wheelchair who drives them to school?
2: That's it. Yeah. That's <laughs> and it. I thought
1: that was adorable. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's been said of, by R2 as well. You know, I used to bring them around, as I say, when they were a little on my knee. And mm-hmm. uh, they thought it was the coolest thing ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. They, uh, I, when I was uh, talking to Maria about, you know, about having disabilities and uh, how that affects quality of life, I said, you know, uh, they've a big part of our quality of life mm. is our support system.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And people who have a good community and support system, they live longer, they're healthier, and she goes, mm. "Well, why did I have to go to the dentist for a cavity then?
1: <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, that doesn't mean you're not going to have some That's health it. problems. Exactly. It just means overall. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly exactly um oh it's so much fun we could talk for hours but i'm unfortunately gonna have to drop soon but uh yeah it's been so much um, fun
0: well let me ask you I, I guess two two final uh um i was gonna however, however much you want to talk about advocacy uh mm. the advocacy that you did to get um personal assistance
1: sure.
0: for for people with disabilities um And then, yeah, do you want to say just a little bit about that? And then you can ask. Yeah,
2: sure. So um, around advocacy, so obviously my personal assistants enable me to live an independent life and to do the things that a dad would do. However, in Ireland, um, nobody or disabled people don't have an automatic right to a personal assistant. So as I was saying earlier on, I got 14 hours initially because somebody else passed away I got an increase in hours because other people passed away. I got another increase in hours because I'm working from home during COVID and yeah. the health service, health service executive are very fearful of risk. So when my wife was working and I was home alone with the children, or could be because I didn't have enough PA hours, um, you know, they, they didn't want anything to happen, but it's not a right. And that funding could be taken away at any time. Oh. Um, and also it depends on what area you live in in Ireland. So you could be in an area where you will get personal assistance hours and then you might be in an area where you're not guaranteed that. So there's, there's nothing guaranteed at all. It's 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 not a very secure system. So um, one of the independent local politicians wanted to work with the independent independent living movement of Ireland to bring into law that every disabled person, if they choose it, has the right to a personal assistant. So um, there was a motion <coughs> brought to the Irish Parliament to that said that everybody should have the right to a personal assistant. Um, now the motion was passed, but then has to be you know, brought through the whole legal system and, and sure. made law. And that's where I think we connect to Tara when you saw one of my posts around that I was in the parliament that night when the motion was passed. So, what we want is that everyone has the right to a personal assistant, no matter what area you live in, no matter what your needs are, uh, that there's no assessment of needs, that you have an automatic right, and that that right can't mm. be taken away from you, that funding can't be taken away from you. Yeah.
1: Um, Brian, may I ask, is there, um, would, there would there be restrictions on, level of income, say, that you would have where that would disqualify or, or would income not even be a factor?
2: No, income isn't a factor. Wow. Um, thankfully, it's, it's where you are, <coughs> what area you live in, who your disability manager is, how much mm-hmm. funding they have in their budget, who's, has anybody passed away? Can their hours be freed up? Um, mm-hmm. How good you are at advocating for yourself with, huh. the, uh, with the health service executive is really what it boiled down to more than, you know, more than income or, or anything like mm-hmm.
0: that. Yeah, we, 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 Tyler had access to personal assistant hours. And then when he got uh, full time.
2: Mm. Well, I went to
1: work full time and, you know, it was income based. Yeah. Right. So it was all done away. So when I went to yeah. work full time. That resource was was taken. But That's it wasn't shocking. like
0: you suddenly had the income to replace it. So you just right. have to
1: That's you know
0: shocking. you have to, either you full live work full time or you live without it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, so is, anyway. it is
2: for other benefits here in Ireland. Like there are other benefits that that you can have if you don't work full time. And um, mm-hmm. you know, for example, I had um I suppose for what better terms a disability living allowance, it was a social mm-hmm. welfare sure. payment. But once I got full time work. That was gone. Whereas in the UK, oh. they have a disability living allowance, which is an assessment of their need rather than of their income. Wow. Huh.
1: That's
0: amazing. Mm. Um, so where where are things at now? Are you still working to get it passed or did it pass? Yeah,
2: or? we it's it's still been worked at the moment. So what we want to do is have each county in Ireland. So there are 32 counties in Ireland. We want each county, each local authority of that county to ratify the motion and then we will go back to the parliament again thankfully the same politician who initiated was re-elected so he's still there so we eventually want to get that right we're not there yet but uh, we're, we're working to get there and what we're trying to do as well is to step up a promotional campaign to educate people on what a personal assistant does because most people don't know the difference between a home care worker and a personal assistant. So a personal assistant can work with me inside and outside my house mm-hmm. and they are directed by me. As I say, they're, they're my eyes, arms and legs. A home care worker can only work with you in your house. And when most of the funding is pushed towards disability, it's pushed into the home care budget rather than the personal assistance budget. And that's what mm-hmm. we need to break down and that's what we need to advocate for. And obviously to make it in to enshrine it into law that you know disabled person has the right to a personal assistant Mm -hmm. should they wish to to have one
0: oh that is that is so great Mm -hmm. and i'm a little jealous
2: (laughs) (laughs) i don't blame you but um yeah no i'll I'll keep you in the loop as to how (coughs) that progresses but i right it's going to be a while yet i reckon before that that happens
0: yeah yeah, well, please do. Well, um, I guess the last question, unless you can think of anything, is is what is, you know, one of the, one of, an important or one of the most important lessons that you've, you've learned that you'd want to pass on?
2: I guess do what you believe is the right thing to do. Um, you know, everybody, like disabled people, just like anyone, will do things differently. And as I always say to my two children, everyone is made differently and everyone will do things in a different way. You know, you won't do the same things as each other. You'll do them differently. So go with your gut and do it. With, with, do whatever you think is the right thing to do, and never be afraid to ask for help. Peer support is one of the best forms of any mm-hmm. support. It really is. It's, it's better than reading any book from cover to cover. You'll learn so much by talking to people and, and finding out what other people did, and then you'll be able to make your own choices.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: absolutely awesome well, well thank you so much for your time and you're I'm very gonna,
2: welcome you're very welcome
0: <laughs> giving us an hour and a half of letting uh, us no hear your
2: story uh, you're welcome this has been fantastic yeah
0: we have so so appreciated it
2: I uh, no you're welcome hopefully we can uh, get together again and and keep in touch yeah all
0: yeah right. let's Definitely. do I'd like okay. to do
2: that yeah no i'd like to do that what yeah. part of the states are you in? You probably told me, but I I can't honestly remember.
0: We're in Utah. Okay. Yeah. So.
1: It's more in the western. Yeah,
0: West. we're in the western half of
2: the country. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, let's keep in touch. Definitely, up for yeah. yeah. well, friend. Yeah. Yes. Let's Definitely.
0: do. Absolutely. Yeah. It'd be fun to do a, a <clears throat> let the kiddos meet.
2: Yeah, it yeah. would do. Yeah, it would. It would. Zoom's Zoom. a great thing. Yeah, it is. is- it really okay. is. Yeah, so is. Yeah.
0: And if you ever make it to Utah, (laughs) you have a place to stay. Uh, Thank you so much. And likewise, (laughs) if you
2: ever get to Ireland or even England, I'll come and see you in (laughs) England. Oh, it'd be
0: so fun. (laughs) Yeah, it would
2: be really, really good. But no, let's keep in touch. Definitely up for that, you know. Yeah, Yeah, for
0: sure.
1: Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tara. It's
2: a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Yes, this has been Crip Parenting. If anybody. Uh, wants to reach out to us to share their stories or comments on today's episode please feel free to reach out we are at crip parenting c-r-i-p-p-a-r-e-n-t-i-n-g at gmail.com and again brian thank you so much and
2: enjoy your day thank you so much thank thanks Thanks. both of you thank you you too bye-bye
0: This podcast is gratefully dedicated to the people of the disability civil rights movement. Every time we use public transportation, go to work, go to a school event with our children, we are living in the world you made possible.